Hey everyone, welcome back to Midnight Movie Confessionals. I'm your host, Scott Betson, and today is maybe not really much of a movie confessional per se, but I guess you can call it that maybe, but I wanted to do a bit of a character study on someone. Someone I have really grown to love as a when I was in high school. He was someone I idolized quite a lot. As much as I want to be wearing the apparel I was wearing a couple of months ago when I did a failed recording of one of his movies, I wanted to talk a little bit about Dr. Hunter Thompson. Now, not many of my audience will know who Dr. Hunter Thompson is, but if I was to just have maybe 30 seconds to describe him, he was an outlawed journalist who invented his own journalistic genre known as gonzo journalism he was known for writing about the hell's angels he did fear loving on the campaign trail in 1972 fear loving las vegas as well as a, a book known as the rum diary that came out well after he became famous the reason why i wanted to do this character study slash analysis is because he is a bit of a character but the reason why i wanted to do so is because of the fact that one I just, I finished watching the Alex Gibney documentary, Gonzo, The Life and Times of Dr. Hunter Thompson, and it kind of left me a little teary-eyed. I haven't watched it in a long time, and he's the reason why I got inspired to do short story writing when I was in high school. I never got anywhere very far, if I'm honest, with the accomplishments that I wanted to do with them, but they were a bit of an experiment for me to get these images that I had in my mind out onto a piece of paper where I can explore a little bit further into what I thought would be a good way to kind of be creative because I had no real way to start a podcast. I had a YouTube channel that I've neglected so badly. I haven't really recorded anything for it in several years because I've just, I've given up on trying to record anything for the of the channel most because it barely gets any views i know this podcast doesn't get any views and i i I don't care about that i don't i don't care who listens or not who doesn't but i know if you are listening out there i thank you very much for doing so now this is not going to be the last podcast of 2020 fear not i'm trying to do something new for myself for midnight movie confessionals because this is one of the few times i'll ever really do i think personally a character study on anyone and use the excuse of sorts to call it Midnight Movie Confessionals because there has been very, many films he's, that have been made about his life. There was the first experiment. I, I hate to call it an experiment, but it was technically an experiment called Where the Buffalo Room, which starred Bill Murray, Peter Boyle, uh, Rene Auberjonois, I think his name was, Bruno Kirby, and a few others. But Bruno Kirby was Dr... Gonzo, known as Oscar Zeta Acosta, but in the movie he was Carl Laszlo Esquire, attorney at law, his attorney, while Bill Murray played Hunter Thompson. And Hunter adored, he really loved Bill Murray. He really enjoyed him a lot. But this documentary doesn't really go too far into that. It doesn't really delve into it a whole lot, but it delves into his, his whole life from beginning to end, as much as I wish he was still alive to this day, I know he's out there somewhere in the great, maybe hanging out with the great spirit in the sky, or maybe he's in hell, for all we know. I don't know where he is, 
in the afterlife, but I know if I ever do meet him, I'm gonna just want to write a story with him up there if it ever gets if it ever got the chance to happen. And I mean, I kind of wish he was still alive to this day because I mean, if he was, I would love to interview him for this podcast. He might not like the technology that I'm using because he was very he he kind of hated technology. Hunter Thompson. He liked, like, he was very, if I was, if I'm honest about him, he was someone that, he did, I technically did something that he did. He, he, as a writer, to learn how to write, to get the rhythm down, he would type out F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald's, sorry, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. He would type that out every single time to get the rhythm down with the keys on the typewriter, so he would type, 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 like he would try and get the music out of it. While Fitzgerald liked to look at the candy shops and the windows of the super rich, Hunter wanted to smash those windows. He grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and his father died when he was 15, but his mother raised him for the rest of his life, as like up to when he was an adult, almost, on a library and salary which probably was not a lot but he grew up hanging out with the super rich of louisville kentucky and whatnot he wanted to be like them i guess but that's beside the fact he wasn't able to make it to graduation because he got into a super bad incident where um he couldn't walk the stage for graduation he instead joined the air force a couple like after he was released from jail he spent a few stints and he was very seductive, you could say. He had a lot of, um... He had a lot of charisma. He was very seductive. His first wife, Sandy... I... She does talk about this as well. She, he was very seductive, and... He... Basically did a lot of, like... Freelance jobs, and... They were very poor. She ate... <coughs> elk liver... And he shot elk, and she only ate salad elk liver and milk that's all she had when she was pregnant with her son Juan who is Hunter's son and his son Juan has if I'm honest become quite the writer himself and um well I know he has a book out called stories I tell myself about how he grew up with Hunter with his father and I've never really read into it but I know I've read I'm currently, as as I'm recording this podcast, I'm reading about 1964 to 1974 Hunter Thompson through the eyes of someone named Timothy Denevy. And the book is called Free Kingdom. I don't know, I don't remember the subtitles about it, but I know it's about Hunter's life during the times after the Kennedy assassination onwards to when Nixon was trying to resign. And throughout all that bullshit that happened. And it was just... It was a lot to take in. But this movie by Alex Gibney has Johnny Depp, Pat Buchanan, Jan Winner of Rolling Stone, who was at the time, I believe, the still the editor-in-chief, Jan Winner, whom I think he was at the time. I'm not too certain. He might not be anymore, but I do know he co-founded the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 
and has founded other publications as well. He was... Uh, he was quite the person, I guess. He did a lot for Rolling Stone. He was the one that helped start it. Um, what else did he do? I know he was... He was the co-founder of the magazine, but I don't know what he's up to at this moment now. I know he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he did work with Hunter a lot, but he also was one of the reasons why Hunter kind of stopped doing articles a little bit. Same with... Like, there was a lot of things that caused him to stop doing the things that he did in the 80s and a little bit of the 90s. Because Hunter Thompson, from the very start of his life, like, well, not very start, but from the very start of his uh, journalistic career, which I believe started a little bit around um, after I think it was when he joined the Air Force, because he joined the Air Force for a year. He was a part of the Strategic Air Command Office of Information Services and um, made it as an airman for first class, but uh, he took like uh what else did he do he was a sports editor like he had a as a writing he had he was working at like at this air force base in um at elegant air force base near fort walton beach and he wrote about the football team their early games and whatnot that they had he had a lot he didn't do a whole lot that he wanted to at the beginning but he did in 1960 moved to puerto rico where he um tried to apply for the job uh, a job at the San Juan Star when he went when he moved there but the two became friends like like the novelist and managing editor became friends and this is how he kind of wrote um the rum diary which later on became famous around the mid to late 90s well after he was famous it got turned it wasn't published for many 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 years another book of his which hasn't been published but very well might sooner or later i'm hoping that juan thompson is able to find the manuscript and maybe touch it up a little bit and publish it posthumously but not under his own not under juan's name but under hunter's name and say this is the long lost book that hasn't ever been published by him and is now being published now it's 2020 anything could happen between now and the next 10 years for all we know I might run into him and might talk to him and his and um, on her second wife Anita and try and I hate to say get it published, but also get it published. But how so? Any of the money that is made gets donated to the writers' retreat that Anita wants to make Owl Farm into because she's wanting to do that. But one of his first books that he ever did. Was the hell's it was hell's angels, the strange and terrible saga of the outlaw motorcycle gangs, and he was doing this in San Francisco. He ran he ran with the angels for a year or so, but after one incident, he left. Like he just did not. After the success, he um, wrote a few other things as well. He also by 1970 moved into Woody Creek, Colorado, and tried to run for sheriff. And this is where the article, The Battle for Aspen, which is going to be a future movie, which was meant to premiere earlier this year, but due to the pandemic, it never premiered. I'm not too certain on what's going on with that, but that's another, I guess, fictionalized, dramatic retelling of what happened during that time as Hunter Thompson 
and I know that'll be something I will review in the future when I do get a ha- uh, my hands on a copy of the movie if it ever does get released on to uh, home formats. But he moved his family tonight like, to Colorado and rented a house on Woody Creek. And um, well, he put his down payment on the home that he would live in for the rest of his life, and he called the fortified compound slash house that he lived in Owl Farm, which is. Honestly, one of the coolest names for a place that you want to live in. But um, for a lot of for a lot of his life out there, he did a lot. He uh, had an article that was entitled that was titled "The Kentucky Derby Is Decadent and Depraved," and um, he got paired with Ralph Steadman, the illustrator, who later on would help him birth Gonzo journalism and. Help him create these amazing, ridiculous character characterizations of literature, of characters that Thompson has created. And Stedman, he never took any sort of hallucinogenic drug before. And when he did, he lost it. He fucking went off the rails insane. And if any of you have ever seen what he's done for what he's ever created, you can tell he's, he's nuts. But that is whatever, to describe the work of Gonzo, it was by Bill Cardoso, who um, liked, I think it was him that uh, described it, and it's like, I like it, it's pure Gonzo journalism for one of his, uh, for that article, and after that, a little bit after, after he was doing the research for Strange Rumbling in Ozatlan, which is an expose for Rolling Stone, he did, for, that was about the killing of uh, Ruben Salazar, the television journalist who was shot in the head with a tear gas grenade. And it was done by the LA County Sheriff's Department and it was during the Vietnam War National Chicano Moratorium March. And Oscar Costa was also having it, like, was finding it difficult to be a bit of a lawyer and an activist during the time because the Brown Power Movement was really fucked up. Because Ruben Salazar, the leader of that whole movement, got shot in the head by a tear gas grenade. By the LAPD's, like the LA County Sheriff's Department during the march. Because they just rampaged everywhere. Hell, Hunter Thompson was in the middle of the 1968 Democratic National Convention. And this is the one, one of the only times Sandy, his first wife, ever saw him cry. He cried for two weeks. He couldn't stop. That was very, like, this is a man who never cried. He made me cry maybe two times in his life. That was one of the only times that Sandy ever saw him cry. And this is for two weeks he cried. Because he was in the middle of that beatings and he thought American cap- like the American dream was fucked, broken, smashed into millions of tiny little pieces, and just destroyed. And this is where Dr. Gonzo and Raul do kind of come into the picture a little bit. And he decides to go into Vegas... And um, explore a little bit. He's having a bit of a journey to find the heart of the American dream in Las Vegas. And honestly, who the hell would blame him trying to find it? But basically, this man went from writing about the Hells Angels to writing about the campaign trail of 1972. He wrote about Las Vegas and how he's trying to find the American dream. He even was given a chance to go to Zaire for the Rumble in the Jungle fight. What does he do? He fucking floats in the goddamn pool. He gets his tickets away. 
He doesn't go and fucking watch the boxing match. Like, of all the people that are there to watch it, he's wanting to watch his idol. He doesn't even want to watch his idol, Muhammad Ali, fight. And he knew Ali was going to either win or get knocked out. And, uh, well, when that happened, it, 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 if I'm honest, is kind of when he never... This is when he stopped making those deadlines. And it, it sucks that it's here. It, it sucks to say that. And, um... It, it, he's the reason why I got inspired to do any sort of story writing at all. Hunter Thompson was that man. And I'm sad that he's gone. I'm very sad he died 15 years ago around February 5th, I believe. No, it was... Let me take a look. It was, if I recall correctly, around February 20th when he passed away from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But who am I to say? Like, I mean, this man could not at all do very well he tried his best he even wanted to see um what was his name like uh he wanted to see georgia mcgovern win during the campaign trail of 72 during the campaign for the presidential election and he didn't sadly he knew he wasn't but he had a real hatred hard-on boner you could say for ed muskie and Hubert Humphrey. He hated Humphrey for the 1968 bullshit that he caused. He also hated Ed Muskie. He knew Muskie was a monster. During the campaign trail in that year, he remembers some things that were going on in Florida when he had this campaign train of sorts where he was going up and down the Florida panhandle asking people to um, vote for him in a sense. And he had this ridiculous fight with his wife and um, all kinds of crazy shit. And what's funny is that Hunter was also a bit of a troll. Like, this is before the internet age, folks. He actually started a rumor in Milwaukee, of all places, in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, about how Muskie hired this Brazilian witch doctor to give him Ibogaine. Which is not even from Brazil. It's a fucking... It's, it's from Africa. If I recall correctly. Ibogaine is not even a drug from Brazil. It's from Africa. But apparently, he said all these ridiculous things to get Ed Muskie fucked. Which I'm glad he did. But from the late 1970s, he had about a four... Like, from the 1970s onward, besides a lot of the things that happened, um... He started to create a series known as the Gonzo Papers. He did four volumes of them. The first one came out in 1979. It was 624 pages. It was called The Great Shark Hunt. Strange times from a str- like strange tales from a strange time. And then after that, he decided to do volume two, Generation of Swine. The Tales of Shame and Degradation of the in the 80s. Which apparently was... I've never really read any of these before but i know volume three songs of the doom more notes on the death of the american dream 
and Better Than Sex, Confessions of a Political Junkie, are all great, apparently. I've never read any of his books like that, but I've read some of his other literary... I've read Here in Las Vegas. I've watched the movie. The movie is good on the illustrations, you could say, but Terry Gilliam, if I'm honest, never really got enough, I guess, of a smart move to say, you know what, let's hire Ralph Stemmen to actually do the the text of the movie, like the very beginning of the intro, and that's what pisses me off about that movie a little bit, but I love the movie. I love the movie. I know I love We're the Buffalo Room. I will do a review on these three movies, as well as The Rum Diary, as well as the one about The Battle for Aspen. When that does come out, I'm going to do a four-part piece that will inevitably be my... I don't want to say it's going to be my final episode of all time, but it's going to be one of my most... I guess I'm going to say most... Not even prestigious, but it's one. Of, it's going to be one of my most uh, difficult ones to power through. To do a review of four movies and try and bam, 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 bam it. It's going to be hard for me to do that, but... Hunter was a maniac. But, um... What really bugs me the most is uh, how Sandy... Um, after he, like, uh, started to divorce him. And that's when he really got really messed up. He tried doing a few things going, like, he tried a lot. In that year, he tried to do a, he, he couldn't do a whole lot. He, by that, by the mid-70s, he was kind of screwed in a, in a sense. Like, a lot of it was kind of hard for him to kind of focus. It feels like ever since, um... Jimmy Carter was elected, he kind of, he became more of the story than he wanted to be. He wanted to be in the back, kind of just absorbing everything, using the tape recorder to kind of listen into everyone questioning this and that and the other thing. He even had a ride with Nixon, I believe, in 1968? Or before the presidential election where he won, and they talked about football. They didn't talk about anything else, they just talked about football. And... I remember Timothy Denevi, who wrote the book Free Kingdom, even talks about this on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is also one of the reasons why I got inspired to do this podcast, was the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. He's the reason why I even started to begin podcasting in the first place. I've listened to other podcasts that I love, and they were also inspirational, but this is the real kick in the ass that I needed to do these podcasts. Even if no one listens to these fucking things, I don't give a shit. I'm sorry for swearing, ladies and gentlemen, but yeah, it's a lot to take in. And if I'm honest, I feel like I have a little bit of a parallel for Hunter, a little bit for myself, but I'm not going to make this about me. I'm making this whole podcast episode about Hunter. Now, he, like I mentioned, he did try and run for ask the, the, the Bicking County Sheriff's Department in the 1970, I myself was very close to winning a seat on the student council in grade 10. Now, I missed it by maybe five or six votes, like five to ten votes. Hunter uh, almost made it, but he lost it by a few couple hundred. But his freak power magnet sort of campaign that he had going on was smart. I kind of wanted to do the same thing. 
but what was I? I was only only, only going to be able to be a representative for like 10th graders. I wasn't going to be able to say this is what I want for my like the whole student council, like the, everyone that was like a part of it, but it was just what I wanted to do. But I never made it. I could say it was a part of my candidacy and uh Um, it was interesting to hear, just, and, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's just, just to know that Hunter did what he could, but at the same time, he wasn't able to really express himself in a sense by the 80s he was he got divorced from sandy due to a few things that happened like a few girlfriends and all these famous people that kept on coming to the rant like to the house and it was hard for her to deal with it so she got paid 50 for 15 years after she divorced by the original landlord who uh, helped buy back the property for half of it where she'd be given like she'd be paying like she'd be getting paid for 15 years each month for uh, the rent, you could say. Because he owned this land or whatever. And it's whatever it is. But Jimmy Buffett also said when he was during this dark time to come stay with him rent-free. Like, just free of charge. Just come down here and um, go through all this. And like I mentioned, Hunter Thompson was a very, very influential writer to some. He was influential to me because he was someone that helped me learn to write, you could say. Like, how he got inspired by F. Scott Fitzgerald's book, I got inspired by his teachings, you could say. Like, if I was to quote him, I hate to quote him verbatim here, but I I feel the need to kind of, um, if I'm honest, kind of quote him verbatim from the movie, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas, a little bit here. Or maybe his famous wave speech. Um, if I'm able to find it, I will. Um, if I'm honest, I have to kind of. I have to read it. If I'm honest, I have to kind of say this. This speech. And this is the. One of the things that. Um, even though it's kind of. I guess condensed a little bit shorter in the movie and if you're loading Las Vegas in the movie I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the one from the movie but when it comes to the movie and the book pod version like what's the difference sort of podcast I will do later on I will actually um I hate to admit kind of use it but I am going to say it and um more or less, it is um, just such a fucking fantastic um, thing to kind of read about a little bit as well. Because of the fact that, one, this guy just... He was just so out of it, if I'm honest. Like, like what could I say about him? Like, really? Because just there's a lot of things to talk about, man. He did a lot of things. But 
if I am to really quote him here, I have to, um, if I have to really say it, I'm going to quote it verbatim here, and I am sorry, folks, if this sounds very messed up, but a lot of you may not know this, but I will. I know this a lot better than most, but uh, here we go, because he is one of my favorite writers, and I feel the need to quote him. Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Has it been five years later? Be six? Feels like a lifetime. Or at least the main era. Kind of beat that never comes again. San Francisco, San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something. Maybe not. In the long run. But no explanation. No mix of words or musical memories can touch that sense of knowing you were there and alive in that corner of the time, a corner of time of the world. Whatever it meant. There was madness in any direction. At any hour, you could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastical universal sense that whatever we were doing was right and that we were winning. And that, I think, was the hand. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply for, like, prevail. There was no point in fighting on our side or theirs. We all had the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high, beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. With the bright kind of eyes, you can almost see the high watermark. That place where the wave finally rolled. It broke and rolled back. But, to me, that whole wave speech kind of draws parallels to a lot of people. For me, the way I comprehend it and the way I think about Hunter with this wave speech is... He's riding this wave. Like, it has a long wave. But by the time he made it to shore, he just crashed and burned. I'm sorry, but Hunter Thompson crashed and burned so hard, he never got back on that surfboard, you could say, and ride that wave, like, ride the wave again. He wasn't able to. He had such an inevitable feeling that he just, it's over for him. He wanted to kill himself many years ago. And he felt like he was riding, he was been living on borrowed time for many, many years. He said he was going to kill himself at the age of 30. He said he was going to end it right then and there. But I don't think he ever did. He was going to kill himself when he was 50. He, he felt like he was living on borrowed time for 37 years or so. If that, or even at like 17 years, you really wanted to kind of condense it. But as a man who wrote a lot of books, I may not be one. I respect him for what he's done. I will always respect for what he's done in the past and what he's at, like what he's done completely because you know what as a man I respect what he's done I wish he was still alive to this day because he'd probably been able to rip into Trump better than anyone else he would probably been able to rip into him better than Jamal Khashoggi and Jamal Khashoggi's death has a lot of journalists scared it still does I know I'm scared to even do a podcast sometimes that's politically charged because I just I don't think I'm able to really do it even if someone didn't even hear this but years later someone else hears this podcast and knows that I did something very fucked up about talking about Donald Trump or whomever the fuck I was talking about at the time I can get into some serious shit I don't want that but like I mentioned as time went on he tried doing The Curse of Lono he tried which wasn't bad but it wasn't his um if I'm honest, his masterpiece. It was 
something that just he, he couldn't do. He he would very he wouldn't really make it on time for a lot of his um his uh like deadlines. He just the first time he never made a deadline at all was really actually when he went to Africa to Zaire. He never went back. Like he never did it again. He did a lot of things. He had a lot of things that went on in his life, and just he was very fucked up during like, during his time. But um, he tried to make a book called "Polo with My Life," which is still technically unpublished. And you know, I don't think it'll ever come out at all. Like I know. He's tried to make something of himself with that, but it never happened. I know it's never been published, but there's he tried doing Funeral and Elko, which was published in the year I was born, which was a rallying cry against the nomination of Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court of the United States. And um You know a lot of other things too, while he like his final magazine feature was the Fun Hogs in the passing lane, Fear and Loathing Campaign Trail 2004. This is the one that was the last time he ever really wrote for Rolling Stone. And he kind of finished his journalism career the same way he began, writing about sports. And if I'm honest, one of his best things he ever did was his, um, his first memoir slash autobiography that he did properly, which was Kingdom of Fear, Loathem Secrets of a Star-Crossed Child in the Final Days of the American Century, which I've read. It's one of his best books he's ever done. And even though a lot of it does have him kind of not really write it properly, like he does a lot of grammatical errors, because this guy was... When it came out when he was it came out in 2003 and he was if I'm he was born in 1937 so he was roughly like in his mid 60s he was not doing well at all he tried he didn't care I don't think at that time anyways when he was writing it and he may be dead but I mean like he just yeah a lot of his his writing style will never go away no matter what and I know when the movie was coming out for Fear of Las Vegas his one of his early novels was published The Rum Diary and that is something that I wish I had the chance to um, read honestly because I haven't read it yet properly I know I've, I've skimmed through it but I've only Watch the movie with Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp has been in two of Hunter Thompson's movies. Fear Lonely in Las Vegas and The Rum Diary. The Rum Diary, not many people like. I don't really have much of a negative stance about it, but I do find it's a book that I need to read. I know it's a movie. I watched the movie. I found it enjoyable when I first saw it. I haven't seen it since I first saw it. I know I love Feeling in Las Vegas. That's the one that kind of got me inspired to write. And, well, I know 
Juan Thompson is also a bit of a writer himself. His son, he's only, if I recall correctly, written one book. If I recall correctly, I don't know if he's done anything else, but I do know he um, killed himself, and it's like, like, and his and his family was around him, and it's like. It's just like, wow, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like, he always had a gloominess to him, and it's just, it's sad that he's gone. Like, I know his son, Juan Thompson, is a writer himself, and he, he re- apparently, according to um, Timothy Denevi, he writes wonderfully about the alcohol, and I know he's in this uh, documentary as well, and he's definitely, if I'm honest one of the only few people that I wouldn't mind meeting him myself. I would love to meet him in person. I know he's quite the accomplished writer if I'm truly honest, but I mean he's definitely someone that I wouldn't like if I met him I don't know what I would describe him as personally and just know his, his book Stories I Tell Myself Growing Up with Hunter Thompson is something I want to read. He was a ba- He may have been a basket case his father, but you know what? At the end of the day, his father was a literary genius. No one can write like Hunter Thompson. Many people can replicate what he's written, like myself, but no one can really capture what this man wrote about. No one can really capture it and bring it back to the pages of his, like of reality. Like no one. You could try, but if I'm honest, you'll never make it. You'll you'll make it to a point, but you'll never be able to get to that finish line, if I'm truly honest. Now, I know a lot of people in the movie knew him very well. Johnny Depp knew him well. He was in it. His two wives, Tom Wolfe, who used part of his tapes that he wrote, like he used for Hells Angels for his book, The Electric Kool-Aid Test... Because they were both a part of the... Like, they were there for the Merry Pranksters and Hells Angels event, apparently. But I could be wrong on Tom Wolf, but he did let him borrow it. Like, he did let... Hunter did let him borrow those books, like, the tapes, to use. But Ken Kesey was also someone that Hunter met in his early career and liked him very very much as well. I, myself, would have loved to have met Ken Kesey. I would have loved to meet Tom Wolf. I would have loved to meet a lot of these writers that are gone now. But... They may be all gone, but you know what? At the end of the day, one thing I do know I've learned from Hunter and from Dr. Gonzo, Oscar Acosta, they were they were just like Tom Wolf and F. Scott Fitzgerald and many others as well, that they were too weird to live, too rare to die. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I end this podcast for the day. I'm not ending the podcast forever. This is just the end of this episode. I wanted to get a bit of a, a bit of a, a rant, not even a rant, but a bit of a acknowledgement of Hunter Thompson and get this out of my system because, well, one, he may be gone, just like Nixon and everyone else is all gone, but it never got weird enough for me. It never got too weird enough for me to get off a boat and swim. And with that, I bid you all farewell. I will see you all in the next podcast. End transmission.